Scripture reading this evening will be from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Luke 8, 4 through 8. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they came to him from every city, he spoke spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a good crop a hundredfold. And when he had finished these things, he said, mm, "Sorry." He cried, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." Good evening. It's nice to be with you. Our, hoping our winter storm has just been a threat, maybe not a reality. Are we going to get more tonight? What's the verdict? I think uh, my daughter's hoping for that. I secretly am a little bit too, but that's neither here nor there. Tonight we're going to do two things. Let's get right out to it and get, get after it. We're going to deal with two central things that have to do with the reading that Tanner read for us. Two central things that have to do with what Jesus is really trying to expose, trying to teach us, trying to lead his listeners here in this moment. I want to remind you that um, as this story is being told over in Matthew, um, also here in Luke, we see that there are several people that are starting to follow Jesus. A lot of people. By this time in his ministry, Um, There are gatherings of people coming around him. A lot of people starting to take notice of this guy they call the teacher who does some healings, who has done some miracles, who has impressed some people. And so his fame in this area, the small little region is starting to grow and people are coming out to listen to him. And so in light of all of these people surrounding him to start listening, Jesus is going to tell, like he always does, in his most simple form, a parable. Jesus was not a very complex man, was he? He said things like, sower goes out to sow a seed. Or, if a seed remains, it remains alone, but if it goes into the ground, it dies and it gives life to the rest. And so he begins to tell a parable, and at the core of this parable, there are two things that we've got to get our minds around as we think about it tonight. Number one, the soil's ability to receive. He's going to talk about four soils, and all four of them have a different receptive capability. All four of them are soil, but all four of them receive differently. And the secondary sort of undertone of this message that Jesus is teaching us is what the soil is supposed to be receiving as the sower goes out to sow a seed. So let's get after that thought tonight. I hope you'll join me as we look into Luke chapter 8. You know, at its core, to be a Christian is to be simply a recipient. Let your mind sort of contemplate on that thought for a moment, to to meditate, to maybe marinate in that idea for a moment that to be a Christian, you know, there's a whole list of things that we can think about. When I say, what does it take to be a Christian? What is it required of you if I'm going to ask you to put on a piece of paper to list so that you can hand that to somebody who's not a Christian? What does it take to be a Christian? 
Well, really at the center of it all, at its core, to be a Christian is to be a person who is receptive. Nothing more. To be a recipient. You see, this thing that we're doing that we call Christianity, this life that we're living from start to the very end is a gift of a merciful God. For if your God is not, at His core, merciful, desiring to be loving and giving, if He's not what the old King James would call loving as charitable, giving for the other, this whole thing doesn't exist. So from start to finish, Christianity is, at its core, you and I receiving from God. You see, from the very beginning, we receive law. That may not sound like a great thing to receive, but... It tells us exactly what sin is. And it lays upon the heart of sinful men and women across this world a guilt that drives them to the feet of Jesus Christ. That's a gift. And for us to avoid that or to not want that is to miss the gift of receiving what the law is intended to do, which is to be a tutor to lead us to Christ, to drive us to the feet of Christ. And then there's mercy. You and I are to receive mercy, which is God exposing Himself to us and loving us and caring for us. You and I receive a new identity in Jesus Christ. We receive joy and peace. And all this equates to what the Bible or Jesus would call Zoe, Z-O-E, life. Fullness, eternal existence. Living in a way that is eternal, life. We also receive things like holiness, Sanctification, those are a work and a gift of God. Uh, Paul would tell us to work out our own salvation for fear and trembling, but it is God who works in us. Philippians 1.6 says that God will bring us to perfection. He's not going to leave us. He's faithful to do that very thing. He tells the Thessalonians that if we have gratitude and we're prayerful people, that God in that environment can grow us to spiritual maturity. 1 Thessalonians 5. And you know even the good works that seem to be man-initiated. Even the good works that we do. Ephesians 2 says they, they were prepared beforehand by God. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4 that we do good works by the strength God provides. And Jesus Himself would tell us that the works we do are intended to give glory to God. Recipients. To position ourselves before God in any other posture than as a recipient of grace is to miss the gift of the sower and the seed. To posture ourselves any other way is to miss that. And so that brings us to this reality that we've got to really contemplate and dig into tonight, and that is this, that one of the most difficult things to do in the experience of life or to living in life is to be wholeheartedly a recipient a genuine, thankful, grateful, humble recipient of things. You see, we distort that problem of reception uh, one of two ways. Usually one way we can go is that we don't think we really need anything. And so we walk around thinking, maybe I don't need to receive anything. I don't need help from you. I don't need help from God. I don't need help from this person. I can do it all on my own. And that sort of spirit of bravado that takes gifts lightly and lacks gratitude, it sees things and people as inconveniences. Even the things you're trying to give me as just, okay, I don't really need this. You're in my way of me trying to do what I want to do because I can do whatever I want to do. That's one problem with reception. And I don't 
see that too often in Christianity. Sometimes it shows up, but most often you see that outside of people who live by faith or dependence on God. I don't need anything. That's one way that harms us from being receptive people. But the other thing that makes it incredibly difficult to be a recipient is a little more deceptive. It's kind of tricky. But I think when we talk about it, it'll make sense to you. And the second way is not that we just think we don't need anything, but sometimes we think we don't deserve anything. Now, on the surface, it sounds incredibly humble, right? Like, oh, I don't deserve anything. Woe is me. I'm a lowly sinner. And, 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 but that's not really what we're talking about here. We're not talking about humble gratitude that is grateful when you receive from God. What we're talking about is this idea that I don't deserve it because I haven't done enough to earn it. And so if you try to give me a nice gift or a good thing and I just reject that because I haven't done enough good things for you to be able to receive from you, that is not being receptive. This can show up in incredibly simple ways like maybe somebody graciously trying to offer to buy you lunch. Oh, no, 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 you, you can't do that for me. Well, why? Because you haven't done enough good things for them to earn their lunch? Maybe they're just trying to give you a nice gift. And it shows up in incredibly spiritually deep and complex ways when we look to God and think, I haven't done enough for you to like me yet. I'm trying to earn your favor. And really what Satan is planting seeds in our mind is this. God, what I'm really trying to do is put you in my debt so that when troublesome times come, I can look to the heavens and say, you finally owe me, pay up. That's really what's at the heart of that. Do you see how we become so distorted in our ability to just be soil that receives from God? Either thinking we don't need or thinking we don't deserve because we haven't earned it yet. And so here's the deal. To miss being a recipient of God's grace is to miss the purpose of us being alive, which is to be a giver of the grace and love of God to other people. Tonight, we're going to start a new series of teachings on Sunday night. So all that introduction is to set you up for a, a, a new teaching series that Matt and I are going to work through on Sunday nights called Receive. And tonight, we're going to talk about how we prepare ourselves to be recipients. And so for the next uh, about six weeks, we're going to talk about what we receive from God. It starts in the area of justification. So we're going to receive forgiveness and look and, and realize what that looks like when we are recipients of forgiveness, how that works out in our lives. And we're going to talk about receiving reconciliation, being made right with God again, the relationship. He's putting his hand out across the table and saying, we're okay now. Reconciliation. We're going to talk about what adoption looks like in God. So receiving the Holy Spirit who cries out to our spirit that we are children of God. We're going to talk about what it means to receive love from God. And then as we move into sanctification, we're going to talk about receiving grace, what it really means to receive grace. There's a really, really cheap imitation of grace that floats around Christian circles. That's just a kind of a knockoff mercy, like God's just covering the space between where I am and where I'm supposed to be. But the Bible presents grace as the most powerful teacher of righteousness that you ever see. And then we're going to finish it up with talking about receiving discipline from God. And all of those coming together as we become people who are recipients of what God is trying to give us in Jesus Christ makes us, as we'll talk about in the last week, able to be received by other people. 
And so hopefully this will all come together, and I pray that you'll be blessed by that. And so for us to make sense of the parable tonight, I think it would be helpful for us to understand the setting of Luke chapter 8 and what Jesus is really talking about. You know, when a person in our culture goes out to sow seed, um, it happens in a much different fashion than what Jesus was talking about. Some of you have, partake, uh, have, have participated in our garden here, our victory garden, where um, you know Sam tills up the field over there, and then we plant it. Um, and usually we get a really, really good crop from that. It's a great thing that, that um, is done. It happens much different, though. Here we have very organized methods of planting seed. We separate fields for different types of crop. And then we actually even separate field based upon ownership. So we know that Farmer Sam's field is over there and Farmer John's field is over there. And we know how that's separated sometimes by fence and sometimes by roads. And so it's pretty distinguished. And you and I don't necessarily just take our cars off the road and drive through a cornfield to get where we need to go as the crow would fly, right? We don't do that. Well, it was a little bit different back when Jesus was talking about here in this, in this place. In the east, really, where he was, where a lot of corn and wheat was grown, it wasn't really like what we have today. Land was not divided very well. Um, it was usually open field with random properties kind of scattered. There would be people living in places, and then you would come to a town, a small town usually, um, but there would be fields all around that area. And through these lands, these fields, there were things called pathways, or as the Bible called them, the highway. And this was just nothing sophisticated like what we have here, but it was the main travel area that people would go on. And so that main travel area would become trodden down because people would walk on it constantly and constantly, and it would become hardened because it would be the main pathway of travel. Well, occasionally you would see some offshoots, you know, you would see maybe a shortcut or across the field where people would try to get to different lands, and those would be sort of like byways. Um, that, I think that's the setting of the story of the Good Samaritan where a person kind of took a side road because that was a really dangerous thing to do. It's kind of an undiscovered road. It may be a quicker route, but there were a lot of thieves waiting there. So it was a little bit dangerous. And so this is also the kind of the picture where Jesus is walking through the cornfield or the, or the grain field on the Sabbath, and he plucks some and he rubs in and he eats it. He really wasn't like walking across the field, like across our, our property here, like in the midst of corn, you know. He was walking on a road. That's how they existed then. And so the, um, the person would go out, he would scatter seed, and you would occasionally see, you know, um, sowers would go out and they would look for large patches of area that they could sow their seed. They would try to find like bigger pieces that would be kind of roughed up by these primitive plows in the east, and they would attempt to get their seed into those areas. But by attempting to get those, their seed in those good areas, just by default, they would have to scatter seed and it would hit a bunch of different areas. So it would be very wasteful in our culture for our seed to land on the road. We, we have sophisticated systems that don't waste seed that way. But in that culture, they would just find good roughed up ground and they would just start scattering seed and it would just happen to fall different places. And so that sort of sets the scene, I hope, for you on what's happening here. And so remember what we're trying to consider. How receptive the soil is. Let's start with the first one. Jesus said when the sower goes out to sow, he throws the seed out. And the first place that he says that it lands is on the highway or the wayside soil. This is that area that was the main traffic area. And one of the things that makes that the quality shows up about this that Jesus says is that when it fell along the path, it was trampled underfoot 
and it was immediately devoured. There was no penetrable place for that seed to find. It was so hard. It was trampled underfoot by men, as Jesus would say. And so the question then becomes this. What made that portion of ground so hard? Well, like we said, what made that portion of ground so hard was the heavy traffic that it had to endure. It had to undergo so much traffic that there were so many feet walking back and forth that it just got pressed down so hard that the little bit of seed could not even make its way down just a little bit to sprout even a green little blade. Just wouldn't do that. And so it would be trampled underfoot by people and birds in the air would come down and it would snatch it right off the ground and it was so hard. And so the question is, what really makes this happen? You see, no, there was no moment in that road's lifetime where seed could take root because the traffic was so heavy. It just constantly was hard. And so as we try to sort of extrapolate that, to make sense of that for us in this parable, how does that mean for my heart and my reception to God? Let me me offer this to you. I believe what he's talking about here when he says this highway that is trampled down because there's so much traffic on it is referring to the messages, the information, The things that we let cross our hearts continually that press down and make us become hardened to the message of the gospel being receptive. For example, on the negative end, um, uh, a lady by the name of Brene Brown, not Renee Brown, our Renee Brown, but Brene Brown does great research on this. And um, there are some messages in our culture that she has decoded, and I'll present a couple of them to you tonight. For example, one of them might be uh, scarcity. How many of you wake up in the morning and think, A, I didn't sleep enough, and B, I already don't have enough time? Any of you you ever ever feel that way? Sam's the only honest soul we've got. (laughs) Thanks, Sam. (laughs) And he's got... You ever feel that way? Like, I did not sleep enough last night, and I've got too much to do already, before your feet hit the ground. Think about how often that message treads across your heart. I don't have enough time, and I'm too tired to do it. You let that message walk across your heart enough, it's going to get hard. And the seed that falls that you are enough in God, and He'll help you, and and I can do all things through Christ, and those messages of the gospel will fall onto that soil and not penetrate. How about this one? Fear. Oh, marketers have figured this out greatly, right? Just go to Toys R Us, or Babies R Us, and be a first-time parent, and just get out your chase card and just take it, you know, like here, just, this is going to hurt, you know, thousands of dollars. We are sold by fear. Tim, seriously, I'm warning you, Tim, it's it's coming. You're going to need every gadget that protects everything that protects everything. And you'll buy that. But think about how much the message of fear dominates your life. And how many times Jesus said, don't fear, don't fear. But you let that message run across your heart so much that unless you lock your car and then get the alarm set and then lock your house in the garage that is locked, you're in trouble. We live in that constant state of fear. How about the message of worthiness? You have no worth unless you've accomplished something. You let these messages walk across the pathway of your heart. Sooner or later, it's going to be trampled down and hardened where the message of the gospel will not be received. 
Even on the other side, how about superiority or adoration? Maybe you've been told you're so great for so many years that that message becomes so hardened on your heart that when God shows up and says, you're not that awesome, I am. And that message is hard to receive. And Satan comes as a bird of the air and he snatches that seed and says, it never penetrates. Time is the element needed for reception in this moment. Because time and rest for that soil is what's needed to give it life again. That soil gets no break from the treading of the messages of its culture, and it needs that. The second one is the stony ground. And what's unique about this is preparation is lacking in this soil. You see, this soil actually takes the seed and and swallows it up, and there's actually life that shows up. There's joy. But in this soil, there's not one bit of preparation. There's just soil that is barely laying on top of rock. And it's rocky and it's hard. And there's just a little bit of soil on top. And so this soil has done nothing to be prepared to receive it. There's been no work done. There's been no cultivation of the soil. It's just rocky and hard. And so what we have here is just a desired reaction of joy. That's all that's wanted out of this. So when I come to church, maybe this could be us, where we hear a message of redemption, a message of peace, a message of joy, a message of hope, and we like that stuff, and the seed falls on our heart, and we grab that little part of the seed and say, I want joy. But in the moment where something difficult comes, as Jesus would say, a time of trial shows up, that plant dies. You see, for real spiritual life to happen, there has to be cultivation. And so this reaction, and the only reaction this has is joy. It wants the joy that is offered, but it wants no work, it wants no depth to let joy really take root. You know, joy is, can only be contained by which sorrow carves out. You've got to dig deep and unearth this stuff. And so that's the stony ground. Let's look at the third. He says the thorny soil. You know what's interesting about this soil is that it is incredibly good soil. It worked. Did you see that? The seed fell on this soil and something grew. So this soil possesses the ability for things to actually take root and grow and live there. You see, the plant was alive. The plant was living. It was, it was there. It was existing. And so when you walked by, you would see the intention of the sower being accomplished. There it was growing. So you see, its problem was not reception, but its problem was selection. It was growing too many things. This soil has all the elements that is needed for mature fruit, except for the maturity to get rid of the things that bring no life. It had a bunch of thorns that brought no life. A bunch of thorns that absorbed soil and took nutrients and grabbed all the water but brought forth no life. And so you see the evidence of this soil. Jesus would say that it brings about fruit that is not mature. And when Jesus speaks of fruit, he's talking about Galatians 5 when he says the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are incredibly immature, not yet ready to be consumed. You see, this soil actually has all the elements that you would need to grow a healthy plant. It has passion. It has care. It has interest. It has cultivation. But the problem is, all of those energy and all that resource that this soil has is being divided amongst a bunch of things. The cares of this life, the riches of the world, and all these things that it's interested in. And so it's incredibly fertile soil, 
just has no discretion about what brings life. The only thing lacking in this soil is space for the seed to take root. This soil is either afraid to commit to the crop for fear of missing out of what the other plants might bring, or it's neglecting doing the work, the hard work, of rooting out harmful plants. It's just neglecting that work. And lastly, he says there's the good soil. Three qualities I'll just throw at you quickly and then we'll move on. He says this soil holds fast to the seed. I think what that means is that it doesn't automatically take the seed and the next day there's this huge fruit-bearing plant. Like, like all of a sudden there's a tree that is just bearing all kinds of fruit. It holds on to the seed. It won't let go of the seed even when the seed is not yet producing a plant or even fruit. And so, practically speaking, I think it contemplates, it treasures the seed. It's willing to meditate on it and consider it. It doesn't just take the seed and discard it because it doesn't automatically bring the response that you want right away, like a problem fixed or something remedied. It's an honest and good heart. It's ready to receive. He would say this. And number three, he says he bears fruit with a really peculiar quality, with patience with patience. And so what I want to do, because um, that parable is incredibly um, rich, but in theory. So I went through some stuff. I went back and looked at this parable and found a couple extra scriptures. I want to give you tonight some incredibly tangible, really practical things you can take and walk away from here tonight, knowing how you can prepare your soil to be receptive of what God wants to give you. Because when we're talking about being receptive, we're going to talk about the mass amount of things that we're supposed to be receiving from God. So the very first thing I want to encourage you to do to really prepare your heart to be receptive is this. Ask God to help. Ask Him. You see, the prophecy that we find in Ezekiel about this new covenant that's coming in chapter 36, the promise of this new covenant is this. In chapter 36, verse 26, God promises, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's a promise of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you to actually begin praying to God about this. Like, God, are there areas of my life that are still kind of hardened? Are there portions of my soil, my, my existence that still kind of have thorns or are a little bit rockier or just hardened with messages that are not the gospel? I'm going to ask you now to be involved in the cultivation of that, to turn over this soil, to help unearth that, to get rid of those rocks, to get rid of those thorns. Help me in that process. Actually ask God, who is in this here, this parable, the sower, to be involved in that process with you. Number two, actually get your hands dirty and turning over some soil. If you've been involved in uh, um, like our Victory Garden here, if you've ever been involved in planting or gardening or farming, when you're going to plant like, like what we do here, in the fall you actually have to turn over the earth pretty deeply. I think Sam goes somewhere like 12 to 16 inches deep and he'll go down and he'll turn the earth up and he'll turn it over. And so he, un, he unearths all that land there. He turns it over. And you know what he does for a while? Just leaves it turned over. Just leaves it. Unearths it and leaves it. And so I want to encourage you to be willing to sit in the moments of having your heart, your earth inside of you turned up 
and be willing to sit there in that discomfort, that pain, that challenge where you're talking to God about, okay, how do I do this? And I want to be receptive and be willing to sit in that. Um, I think you have to really cultivate depth in your relationships. First and foremost with God. That's how this happens. Cultivate depth in your relationship with God. A mechanical, cold, pragmatic relationship with God where you check off the things that you're supposed to do and you show up at the things you're supposed to show up at and you read the things you're supposed to read and say the things you're supposed to say, but it has no work. There's no dirt under the fingernails. It has no depth. Cultivate a depth of relationship with God. It reminds me of David when he said in Psalm 139, he was crying out to God when he was understanding how God was always near him. He said to this, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He sat ready to receive, but also ready to be cultivated. Another way this becomes really important is I want to encourage you to cultivate deep, meaningful relationships with people around you. With people around you. Not just surface relationships, but deep, meaningful relationships. And what that means is you actually have to be kind of awkward and uncomfortable sometimes. Like you actually have to ask that question that makes your stomach kind of twinge a little bit. Like, hey, do you mind praying for me in this way? Or maybe ask some questions that are just specifically interested in the other person. Like, how's it going with your kids right now? I know they're reaching a new age. Has that been hard for you recently? cultivate deep relationships and when you invest in people they're going to reinvest into you and so that starts to dig up really healthy relationships and inside of those healthy relationships where truth is told listen to proverbs 27 5 and 6 says this better is open rebuke than love carefully concealed faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy listen to verse 9 Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Listen to verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Take a survey in your life. Do you have deep, meaningful, cultivated relationships where your friends tell you the truth? Because the reality about the blind spots or the hard parts of your life is that they are either blind or callous, meaning you don't see them and you don't feel them. And so we need people around us that are willing to stick a shovel in and unearth some stuff for us and then sit there with us through the season of the dormant time where it's difficult and be ready to let God plant into that. We need people in our lives like that, but we're not making investments. We're just doing this hurried, fast-paced, surface-level, checked-off religion. And it leads to immature fruit with a bunch of thorns choking out the plant that God is trying to grow in us. If you disagree, you can tell me, but I think that testifies to what we're looking at in Christianity today. The last thing I'll tell you is this. Weed out of your life lifeless weeds and heart-hardening traffic. Get rid of, with a ruthless passion, those weeds in your life that bear no fruit, that give you no life. I mean, ruthlessly attack them. Get rid of them. Repent of them. Drag them into the street and get rid of them. And get rid of the heart-hardening traffic 
that constantly makes your soul impenetrable. Listen to how James said it this way. He said, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word but, and so deceive yourselves, but do actually what it says. Get rid of that stuff that is making your soil so impenetrable and choking out the plant that God is growing in you. In John chapter 1, one of the most profound statements and sentences really in the Bible, as we contemplate what we are receiving, John opens up in a way that is very much like Genesis beginnings, as John sees a new beginning of the kingdom of God. No longer the old ways, no longer the law of Moses, but a new way in Jesus Christ. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Remember in the parable where Jesus said the sower goes out to sow the seed? And later he explains, he says, the seed is the word of God. And so John says, in the beginning was the word. In verse 14, when he says the word became flesh, he's really exposing to us what we are receiving is Jesus Christ encapsulated as the Word. And in verse 9, he explains it this way. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. God was sowing the seed. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. It was hard. He came to His own people, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive him, who had that soil that was willing to receive, like Nicodemus or Zacchaeus, who had a soil that was ready to receive. He says, those that received, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. One of the most beautiful phrases that John the Apostle uses in all of his writings is that you and I would become children of God. And what he means by that is not just in title, not just in salvation, like, oh, I'm God's child now, or I'm a Christian, or I'm saved. What he is meaning is the reflection of the image and nature of our Father that we look just like Him. And to those that receive Jesus Christ, His forgiveness, His mercy, His reconciliation, His grace, His tenderness, His love, those that receive Him start to look like Him, start to act like Him. They start to be Him on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boy, what a great thing to receive Jesus Christ. Even better, God has not left you with rake in hand to figure out how to cultivate your own soil. How awesome is that? He said, come to me. All you who, what's that word right there? Labor. Do you remember that? This is not just a beaten down people like, oh, life's so hard. He says, come to me with rake in hand, you who are trying to by yourself cultivate your own soil. Come to me, you who labor. Let me help you. Let God cultivate your soil to be receptive to who Jesus Christ really is. I can promise you, it's life. Let's stand and sing.